What's going on, guys? Thank you for tuning in. Yes, uh, we have a super enlightening podcast, I think, for Chase and I today, uh, where we interview Figs O'Sullivan. And Figs is a licensed marriage and family therapist who lives in San Francisco. Uh, He has two children, uh, I think two and five, and he's got a super cool accent. (laughs) <laughs> and name and name Big he's just Joe super Sullivan. cool all around <laughs> but in all seriousness i don't know about you sarah but this was one of my favorite podcasts yeah, it was we've done i yes. mean over 200 and we've had a lot of amazing ones and we started it with the general topic of talking about parenting and uh dealing with that within the relationship, but really, and it applies to that, but we talk about dealing with impossible moments in a relationship. And sometimes parenting can feel that way. And he talks about how it's related to that, but really impossible moments, like these things that we often avoid, the hard conversations, uh, the communication with how we're feeling, these really hard feelings and just lays it out in a beautiful way. So I'll just let him do all the talking today. I know sometimes I can go on and on, but it was a a really beautiful interview. Yes. And as always, we appreciate you guys listening and tuning into the show, leaving the reviews for us, uh, the feedback. We really appreciate it. Sharing the podcast with family and friends, and we hope you enjoy today's episode. Today's show is brought to you by our online course, Spark My Relationship. Create more passion, improve your communication, and build a stronger, more intimate connection with your partner in less than 90 days. We've collaborated with 15 therapists and psychologists to bring you the strategies marriage therapists teach their clients. To unlock a special offer only for I Do Podcast listeners, visit sparkmyrelationship.com slash unlock. That's sparkmyrelationship.com slash unlock. Hi, Figs. Thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Hi, Sarah and Chase. Nice to be a guest on your show. Thank you so much for having me. So, Figs, Sarah and I are both parents to our wonderful daughter, Stella, and we're both in a relationship, obviously. We are married, and this comes with some unique challenges, and certainly, as Stella just turned four, it seems like those challenges continue to increase, so we're excited to talk about balancing our roles as parents and our roles as a husband and wife and how we can do those two things. Because sometimes it feels overwhelming and we wear the parental hat, but we're also in relationship. So let's dive in and talk about how we can balance these two roles. Great. Uh, absolutely. I, I'd love to talk to you about that. And not not just as a professional, right? You know, as uh, you know, as a couples counselor, but I also, by the way, I have a five and a half year old um, and a two and a two year old myself. Wow! So I'm not <laughs> only full. I'm I'm in the in the middle of it myself, right? Not just some um, someone sitting on top of some mountain looking down at everybody, you know. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm I'm crying in the moments of overwhelm, <laughs> you know, like 
you know, well, it's like intense. <laughs> We're yeah, all crying it's together. Intense, absolutely. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I'm right there with you. Where can we start? I mean, there's so many things we could. Well, yeah. Why don't I? Well, I just give um, let me give a little bit like the way I frame it. OK, so I, I'm like I said, I, I'm primarily a couples therapist. Right? I'm a psychotherapist. And as a couples therapist and psychotherapist, I primarily work from what I refer to as an attachment orientation, right? And attachment, when I say the word attachment, I'm referring to this theory of human development. And that's that we all, everybody has a built-in need to be emotionally bonded with a primary other. Right now, this is just—it's just biology, right? There's no, there's no point in fighting it. Like from the moment you were born, your primary need was not food and shelter or um, an iPhone. I know that's hard for some people to believe, <laughs> but your your primary need is that there's a good enough other on the other side of your birth, and for most of us, that's our mom, and some of it's you know, granny or adopted parents, whatever it is, right? But uh, your primary need is there's a good enough other on the other side of your birth that is going to do two things primarily. And then there's a million offshoots of these two things. One is they're going to look at you. They're going to be there. Sorry, the first thing is they're going to actually physically and emotionally be there. But you can rely on them to respond to you. Because, again, just taking it from an evolutionary biology perspective, if you cannot rely on a good enough other to be there for you emotionally and physically, you will die. Like it's not, you know, this is some, this is some primary stuff, right? Like you will die, right? We're useless, absolutely useless. Other mammals come out and they're able to get up and run around, right? Like, you know, within a couple of hours, we have another, like, you know, almost two years before, like, you know, we are like a year and whatever it is before we can walk, right? So like built in that we we are an interdependent species and we need other human beings and our our biology is oriented so and then the other one the other half of you know the other side of the equation is you need to have a good enough primary other that looks at you like you're good enough for them you're not a disappointment to them so so these things are like these are just fundamental to what it is to be a human being so if we then like and that you know those um that uh, you know affect system that need to be actually emotionally bonded it doesn't go away just because you've become a grown up right so here you are now you know successful podcasters and you know living in costa rica and doing <laughs> awesome things together right like you're like you're amazing right and deep down inside Right, you're still babies, and, and I mean that with all due respect. No offense, I am too, because you're each other's primary attachment figures. And, and then, of course, it gets confusing because you're all also a primary attachment figure to your four-year-old, right? So, so here's where parenting gets really, really difficult: is we're primary attachment figures to each other. So when it looks like one of us isn't there for the other, it's going to kick off our limbic system to feel actually threatened, and then there will be some protest behavior. But of course, that protest behavior is going to kick off some threatened feeling in your spouse's limbic system. And now they're going to protest being disconnected. 
and you're going to get disconnected from each other because you mean so much to each other. But then you throw in now having like a baby that you're also responsible for, right? Like because they're looking at both of you like you're their primary attachment figures. And things get emotionally really, really complicated really quickly. And unfortunately, most people aren't very good uh, and understandably so at recognizing what's really going on is a deep emotional issue. It's not actually the issue of the day. Like, you know, so someone might think like the real issue here is I'm the one that has to get up to bring our daughter to the bathroom at two in the morning. Uh, why isn't that you sometimes? But it's not actually an issue about who brings our daughter to the bathroom. The issue is a deeper, are you there for me? Am I enough for you issue? And so the first thing I always try and help parents orient to is when you get disconnected from each other, and there's going to be even more opportunities to get disconnected and when you're parents, what's really happening is your primary bond has been, has been um, disrupted. And it's got a lot, it doesn't have actually as much as you think to do with the actual issue you're talking about in the moment. So anyway, that's just a little kind of, it like get us started. I think that is a great place yes, to start. It it's uh, Sarah and I are both like listening super intently because <laughs> we're like, it's a, a bit revelatory to us. Yeah. I mean, really just, relatable. Really. Yeah. Because we for sure have uh dealt with this recently and uh the way you framed it um is definitely a situation i think we've both been in feeling that our primary attachment is not there um in each other and that's a big change yeah absolutely and look it's it's really hard right it, it's it, this is a interesting you know um juxtaposition or, you know, sometimes I call it actually an, an impossible place that all for relationships to really work, most of us are going to have to make friends with and uncomfortable friends, right? But at least we're going to have to accept that it's here that we're going to end up in impossible places with each other. And what I mean by an impossible place is there isn't actually a really good way out. So let's just say spouse number one, you know, because I don't want to presume your guys' emotional, like what happens inside of both of you. But, you know, spouse number one in a moment, like has more propensity to feel I'm alone. You're not really here for me. And they're going to protest by actually critiquing or asking their spouse, hey, please be here for me now so I can get out of this feeling of being alone with this and feeling overwhelmed. But unfortunately, that request, even though it makes sense, it's not bad. It's just a way to have, like to try and alleviate and get out of the suffering of being disconnected, you know, and feeling overwhelmed. It is going to touch in their spouse, most likely, a feeling like it seems like you're disappointed in me, or it seems like you think I'm not doing enough. And it also, then the way I will protest that if I'm spouse number two, is I'm now going to try and just find a solution to the issue. Or I'm going to try and tell you you shouldn't actually be that upset about it. Or I'm going to shut down. And while again, like, you know, because I don't want to get in a bigger fight, so I'll just leave the situation, right? Um, all of those things, again, make total rational sense that you would try and do those things. But unfortunately, the actual message that lands in your in spouse number one's limbic system in their emotional body is they get they get a further signal, you're really not here for me. So now they probably are going to double down 
and they might spell it out now on a whiteboard the way in which you're not there and what they need you to do right the, <laughs> to help them not feel so alone and, and the cycle goes on and on and on and on right and so I think there's a certain degree that moments like that are unavoidable. They're unavoidable. There is no way you're not going to have moments of feeling alone and overwhelmed as a parent, and especially if you're a quote-unquote primary parent. And there's almost no way then as the spouse of that parent, you're not going to have moments of feeling powerless. Like I, I, It stresses me to see you, my spouse, my primary attachment figure, feeling alone, and it looks like I, I seem like I'm a disappointment to you, and there's nothing I can do to make it better. You're both in certifiable suffering at exactly the same moment. You're both stuck together, and you're only stuck because you're so important to each other. And, re- and, and actually, that getting to that place where you see I'm hurting, you're hurting, and the two, what I'm doing right now to get out of it, and what you're doing right now to get out of it, even though they both make sense. It's just making it worse. And this is really awful for both of us. This is such a painful place for both of us to be disconnected when we mean so much to each other. Now, I can keep repeating that over and over again, because that is actually the way out. There is a bridge that magically appears when two parents, when any two people in relationship reach an empathic shared experience like that. It's not you're the bad guy or I'm the bad guy. We've just ended up in an impossible situation where we're both hurting. Now, our limbic systems have literally gone from threatened crocodiles to actually being little field mice. And we can see like, you know, my partner is just a little threatened field mouse too. And we actually could be a comfort to each other and work together as a team to make things better. How do you get to that point, though, where you you start to show empathy with your partner and you stop being that crocodile and become that mouse. It, it, that, I feel like right. that transition for me is, seems really hard. Well, look, come here. I, I love that question because I'm going to, I've got some good news and bad news, right? Bad news. It's worse than hard. It's worse than hard. It's temporarily impossible. Because let's say, look, everything I've said so far is true, right? Your physiology, this like, you know, biological machine for a moment, let's just call it that without like offending anyone, right? <laughs> you know, but just for a moment, right? It, it is, you're hardwired to be threatened when you're disconnected. And your amygdala and hypothalamus on some level is probably going to take over and it's going to make choices and decisions about how you respond next. Now, you you think you're just making rational choices and decisions, but you're actually protesting, hurting, being disconnected because it's so fundamentally important, right? And so in a moment when you're disconnected, you're going with like, you know, we used to say, and of course, now we know the brain is much more complicated than this, right? That your amygdala and hypothalamus, the parts of your brain that react when you're actually under an emotional threat or physical threat, um, it's six seconds ahead of your neocortex, right? Now, like I said, this is just an easier way to understand it. It's a little, there's a little bit more back and forth between your neocortex and your, you know, amygdala and hypothalamus, but it's six seconds ahead. So you've got at least six beats of time where you're not going to be able to access anything other than your ability to protest being disconnected, right? Now, 
when you protest being disconnected, right, your spouse's organism is actually very smart too. Remember, it's been built to detect when they're under threat. And so now they are going to detect, oh, my partner looks like they're not there for me or they're disconnected with me. And so now they're going to have a minimum of six beats of time where they're feeling threatened and they're pro- anything they do and say next is going to land on their spouse as a protest too. And so an analogy I often give for this is imagine the Dalai Lama or whoever you think is the most like emotionally loving, open, compassionate human being on the planet, right? Whoever, or like, you know, Jesus, whoever like your historical figure is, right? And imagine like I met the Dalai Lama and I accidentally stand on his toe really, really hard, right? The Dalai Lama himself has got six seconds. He's got six beats of time, most likely, where he's like, hey, what the hell was that? (laughs) Before he returns back to, oh, it's okay, my son. Right. (laughs) Like, you know, like, so, so, and then think about two spouses. And that's just like, you know, someone that I'm not actually that important to. You think about like two spouses, right? You look like you're not there for me. I've got six seconds of going, hey, what the hell? Why didn't you like, why didn't you get up when I called you? And then the other spouse has got six seconds of like, what, are you kidding me? I'm doing the best I can. Why would you be disappointed in me? And so during that period of time that you're hurting and you're responding like that, again, it's worse than hard. It's impossible. And that's why like, we got to make some friends with some impossible moments. We got to be able to see that we will de- being getting stuck in a temporary, this is the key. We want to make sure it's a temporary impossible period where we get into a negative interactionary cycle with each other. We want to make it as temporary as possible. And then we also want to make sure that the damage we do to our emotional connection during that temporary period of disconnection is as little as possible. So we want to minimize the amount of time we stay disconnected. And we want to minimize the damage we do to our emotional bond. And then here's the most important part. Well, I shouldn't say most important part. Here's the The yummy part is then if we can at some point in time, seven beats of time later, right? So it'd be nice if it was six seconds. For some of us, it's six minutes and others, it's six hours. And unfortunately, we've got people that are going to stay disconnected for six days, six weeks, six months, six years, right? But we want to minimize, minimize, minimize and minimize the disconnection, the pain that we cause ourselves and each other, right? But in that seventh beat of time, we get to this place where we can see, oh my God, we did that thing again we do where I was hurting, you were hurting, no wonder you acted the way you do. And I understand why I walked, acted the way I did. And I actually get now the impact I just had on you because I'm so important to you and you're so important to me. Of course, we'd be hurting like this. And now we can repair. The parts of us that got hurt, now we have empathy. And empathy in and of itself is a neutral experience. But because now there are two people that actually love each other that are in an empathic moment, now we can fill that neutral space where we're no longer a threat to each other. We're just two people that love each other that are hurting. Like, as you could imagine, like, I'll I'll ask you guys the question, what do you think two people that love each other do when they transition from being crocodiles to two little field mice? And they say, oh, my God, you're hurting because you love me so much. And I'm hurting because you love because I love you so much. What do you think they could do in that space together? Probably create a lot of compassion and love for each other. Yeah, right. Like, again, they're <laughs> going to be able to repair. Yeah. You got hurt. Where did you get hurt? Was it right here? Let me kiss it better. 
Right. And you got hurt. It was your heart right there. Oh, I want to be there. That part of you that thought I wasn't there for you, it totally makes sense. You were hurting and you would have protested. And can you see I'm here now? And can you give me a chance to be here for you now? And then on the flip side of that, oh my God, it looked like I was disappointed in you. And it was like, you were never going to be enough for me. I hate when you feel that way. How can I let you see you're enough for me now? And would you please let me in now? And if two people can give each other a chance to do that, now we can get back connected again. So a good relationship is not a relationship that never has moments of disconnection, right? A good relationship is a, is a relationship where we get disconnected, guaranteed, it's just our physiology, and it's just a result of how important we are to each other. But we're able to give ourselves and each other a chance to be able to see, look, it is both of us. And because now I see it's both of us and we're only hurting because we love each other so much, I'm going to give me and you a chance to get back connected. And I'm going to try and be here for you in both directions in all the ways that it looked like we weren't there for each other during that impossible moment that we had. And now we could be even more connected together than we were before the moment of disconnection even happened. And so what I just described, now it's very easy to say it, but obviously people come to see me in person and we have to work on this for weeks, right? Like it's, there's no point in just understanding it. It has to be an experience, right? That, but if we can make that process, I just described the repeatable experience. I'm never worried about what difficulties life throws at people because once you can go from being disconnected to connected again to repairing and feeling like, okay, you're really there for me and I really am enough for you, we can get back into that safe emotional bond, which is the very best comfort Mother Nature or God, again, um, offers us as we walk through this life of unending like opportunities to suffer and have problems that seem impossible to solve in a given moment. Right? This is as good as it gets. And if you learn how to do this, like this connection, back to connection and repair and be there for each other again, that, that's all you need to be able to meet the world. We love this, Figs. This is such a valuable exercise, harder to implement, but to think about not just for yeah. parents, but anyone in relationship and bringing it back to parenting and being in a relationship. It seems like... Yeah why it can be dis so difficult, like you describe with our attachments, and then we have this little thing trying to attach to us, but that because of the amount of attention that a child takes away from time that would otherwise hopefully be spent on the relationship or other things, then the opportunities to wind up in these impossible places that you describe, these disconnections, to me, they increase because just the amount of Absolutely. mental and physical effort for a kid. Is that, is that kind of what's happening? Uh, yeah. Like, uh, yeah. And it, I, I would say it's even more than just time for sure. There's the time factor that we're not going to get to spend as much time together because being parents is so demanding, right? And parents that really are committed to showing up, right. As primary attachment figures so that you're always, you know, as they like, there's three basic things you got to do as, an, as a parent, right? One is you got to make sure your kid knows um, I'm here for you emotionally and physically, right? The second one is you got to make sure they know that they're enough for you, right? And then, of course, the third one that people can get raw, they leave out, even if they're committed to being an attachment parent, is then they have to do all that in a safe container. And, and so, like, letting your child know, like, I'm here for you and you're enough for me, 
but you know, like I, I remember when our daughter was due, like she would kick our little labradoodle, right? You know, she didn't know what she was doing, right? But you know, and so you're enough for me, sweet daughter of mine, and I'm here for you. And the third one, I got to set a little boundary here, and I. Because I'm your primary attachment figure and we are in relationship with each other, I can't let you kick the dog. So you got to put all that in a safe container right now. So if both of you are doing that, right, for your, let's say you're both committed to doing those three things all the time as parents, right? That's pretty overwhelming. That's a pretty demanding, like, you know, life to be committed to, which we all are as parents, right? And then, you are each other's primary attachment figures. And like I said, so one person typically has more vulnerability around, are you there for me? And so if our child is crying and I'm overwhelmed and I'm going to feel like, why aren't you responding, sweet spouse of mine? Um, I'm going to signal to my 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 spouse that it, it looks like I'm disappointed in you. And then, of course, that's most likely my spouse is going to have a higher propensity or ability to feel like it seems like I'm a disappointment. And I really don't like feeling that. And I'm going to now, like, protest it. And, and we're going to get stuck with each other. So, so this is where there's a couple of things we have to do at the same time. Whereas we want to make sure where these effective, reliable, consistent primary attachment figures to our kid. I'm here for you. You're enough for me. And I'm creating a safe container to keep you safe so that you know the boundaries of the world and your relationship um, with it, um, you know, as created by us. But you also have to make sure if you're signaling to each other as parents, A, you're not actually my priority. Being here for our kid is the priority. Or you're signaling to your spouse, you know, by the way, I'm glad you're on this journey with me, but you're kind of a little bit of a disappointment as my co-parent or partner. Like, that is going to rock the foundations of your home so much. So you could be so committed to being good parents, but at the same time, you're sending these core messages to each other that like, you're not here for me or you're a disappointment to me, right? Or, or like, you know, you're too much, you're being too sensitive and it'll actually ruin all the good work you're doing as parents because if you want to have a healthy this family system, Almost the first thing you have to do is attend to the subsystem of the two of you together to make sure that that subsystem of your emotional bond is solid. This is so complicated, <laughs> but you're doing a great job of laying it out. And I, I say that because I was thinking it's so complicated. Sarah and I are experiencing this as a lot of our listeners may be in the common uh, cliche that hopefully everyone knows is wrong is, well, let's have a kid to save the marriage. This is why <laughs> this is, right. that is among other things, a terrible reason because it adds so much complexity to your relationship and even just, yeah, becoming parents, you're wanting to do an amazing job as a parent, but your spouse then sees how invested you are in the kid and whether it's conscious or not, they may then feel subconsciously that they're losing, you know, they're not important anymore. The kid is important. And it's just, yeah, 
it, yeah. it's such a crazy thing because of course, most of the time, like that parent that's giving all the attention to the kid, that's their last intent to make their spouse feel that way. So you laying right. it out this yeah. way is, is, is great, uh, hopefully for people to hear. Let's take a break to talk about today's sponsors. Today's episode is brought to you by Zola. So we all know planning a wedding can be super stressful, except for me, because I did not plan our wedding. <laughs> no, you didn't. I just that's said okay. yes, yes, yes to <laughs> that's Sarah. Exactly. That's what every partner needs to do is just yeah, say yes. It makes it easier. <laughs> and I didn't really care as much as Sarah did. And it worked well. But... If I was planning it, it probably would have been pretty stressful and I would have used Zola because they would have wanted to help me take the stress out of wedding planning with their free wedding websites, the easiest wedding registry, and affordable invite suites, and much more. Zola's free wedding websites can be created in minutes and you can choose from hundreds of beautiful designs that can fit any couple's styles and they're all free. You have the ability to add photos, stories about how the two of you met, details about accommodations, as well as addressing those awkward questions like, are kids invited or do I have a plus one? No, leave your toddlers at <laughs> leave home. Leave the kids at home. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> you can even add your Zola registry to your free Zola wedding website so guests can get wedding info and buy gifts all in one convenient location. Zola is the most helpful wedding registry ever and they make the process super fun and easy. They carry all your favorite brands from OXO to Cuisine Art to Airbnb and to Honey Funds, which we actually used for for our uh, honeymoon. Yeah, yeah. So build your free wedding website on Zola and get $50 toward your registry. Go to Zola.com slash I do. That's Zola, Z-O-L-A.com slash I do to build your free wedding website. Today's episode is also sponsored by our course, Spark My Relationship. We started I Do Podcast to get information to improve our own relationship. We thought at the very least we'll be able to do that and then to share it with our listeners. The guests are great and we've gotten a ton of valuable information, but we found that if we don't actually deliberately take the time to implement the strategies and tools that our guests give us, we weren't seeing the real lasting benefits that we desired in our relationship. And that's why we created the Spark My Relationship course. We've collaborated with 15 psychologists and therapists to create a comprehensive relationship course that not only teaches you the skills needed to create a successful and lasting relationship, but the tools to execute it. By enrolling in the online course, you'll have access to the same strategies and tools that marriage therapists teach their clients, including therapist-taught video lessons with workbooks and exercises to help you work towards accomplishing your relationship goals in less than 90 days. You'll also learn how to detox unhelpful relationship habits and learn healthy ways to interact. You'll learn how to disagree respectfully and communicate mindfully, as well as how to improve intimacy and reignite your sex life and so much more. Spark My Relationship isn't just a course for struggling couples. It's a course for couples who want to see their relationship flourish. If this is you, then you are a perfect fit for the course. 
So for a special offer for our ID podcast listeners, head over to sparkmyrelationship.com forward slash unlock. Again, for 30% off the course, plus special bonuses just for ID podcast listeners, visit sparkmyrelationship.com slash unlock. Yeah, no, thank you. And that's, I cannot emphasize this enough. And by the way, this is a really hard thing for people, like even people that come to see me, you know, week after week after week. This is a very hard thing to really surrender to and accept where we need to bond with each other first is as a couple, and then especially as parents, is in the impossible moment. Like everybody wants to bond on a sunny Sunday like sitting at your favorite restaurant's outdoor deck, you know, and our kid is well-behaved and like we're holding each other's hands as we watch them laughing and playing at dinner and we don't have to leave because they've, you know, demolished the entire restaurant, right? Everybody wants to, you know, to bond in one of these beautiful moments. But in order to bond in one of these great moments, we got to be able to bond in like, oh my God, this is so hard for both of us. And our heads, like our heads then like, you know, bow towards each other and our foreheads are touching and we're kind of sharing each other's weight. And we're like, I know you can end up feeling alone with stuff. And I know you can end up feeling like there's nothing you can do to make me happy. And this is just so much harder than we anticipated. Oh, sweetie. Like, that's the key moment, right? But most people are determined not to actually work on getting to that key moment. Most people are trying to work on, okay, how do we make sure that we make we do not get an impossible moment? How do we like organize our life so that there will be like, um, you know, should we hire extra help or um, should we do more calendaring or like, uh, you know, should I, how will I change my behavior? Look, those things are valuable, but they're only valuable if they're placed on top of our ability to repeatedly get to this empathic experience with each other. This is really hard. And then again, I I promise you there's a reason I repeat the same thing over and over again, because it takes a while for this to get in. And it's not your ears alone that I'm trying to get to hear these words. Remember, it's your limbic system. It's your emotional body. Imagine with these words, what I'm trying to do is like just very gently rubbing your arm saying, hey, it's okay. You're hurting. I'm hurting because this is actually really tough for both of us. But right in there, we could be a team with each other. And that is a state shift. That is a biological state shift. That's what we need to work on doing. Everything else will be easier. The exact same issue that 10 minutes earlier was causing both of you to feel, oh, this is terrible. When we can see it in this real empathic experience, the problem itself looks completely different. For me, when you talk about it being okay and each person it being okay that they're going through this tough time, this tough moment, for me, I feel like Sometimes it's hard to do that because then it's me admitting to myself that I'm like a failure in the moment of parenting or in a relationship because it's so hard that I'm doing something wrong. And I know that's not true, but it's those emotions that that just naturally arise because we're human. So do you have any advice for me and our listeners that 
may have those feelings of like failure as a parent or in the relationship because it's just too hard? Oh, yeah. Look, <laughs> it, it's um, no. Yeah, I, I, I just think it's a great, great question because this is I, I think everybody's feeling this at some moment as parents, right? And look, quite frankly, I believe everybody's feeling this as human beings, right? There's play, and, and everybody is doing the best they can. To, when people get up in the morning, they don't realize it consciously, but people, the first thing they do when they get up in the morning is they make a commitment. I'm going to do everything I can today to, to stay away from my own feelings of not enoughness and too muchness. And I'm going to do everything I can to not let that part of me be seen by other people. And here's the gift of parenting. You're not going to succeed. <laughs> you're, just, you're not going to succeed. You're definitely going to feel like you're failing, right? And again, so at some point, we got to make uncomfortable friends with this part. But we want to be incredibly loving. Let's just imagine what we want to be able to do is be for ourselves. Like sometimes I think it's easy to person- easier to personify this, right? I mean, sorry, when I say personify, just imagine instead of thinking there's one of you inside, there's actually two of you. Right. And let's say there's you, uh, I'm a good parent and I'm a good person and I'm going to be really work on self improvement, right? Or whatever it is, being good in the world. But, but right underneath that part of you, there's actually a little vulnerable you. And let's just say, like, for a woman is a little vulnerable girl that can feel really, really bad inside about herself, whether that she feels she's too much emotionally or she's not enough. And when she's hurting like that, and again, imagine there's like a five-year-old girl and you got to see her and you got to talk to her and be with her. Like, what are you going to do? Are you going to go over to her and say, hey, get your act together. I can't believe you're failing like this, right? Like, who would talk to a five-year-old girl like that? Like, who would do that? So, so how can you find your internal friend and I mean friend with a capital F, like the, a friend that was born in the place where all friends come from. And that this friend knows you deeply and intimately and knows where you are vulnerable. And you're in need of not like being like, you know, put down or told you're failing and get your act together and look at you. Like, no, they need to be like, need to like, like, please. I am here for you. Let me hold you. It's okay that you're hurting. I know this is really hard. And you know what? I'm not going to hide you or I'm not going to tell you you're bad. In fact, I'm going to do the opposite. I'm going to bring you everywhere with me. I'm going to hold your hand. And when we go for dinner, you're going to sit on my lap because I am going to be loving and kind to you when you're hurting for the rest of my life. And then, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to share that vulnerable part of me with my spouse. Because usually it comes out as defensiveness or problem solving or critical. And they don't realize, no, what's happening is I'm really hurting and struggling inside. And oh, dear spouse of mine, I want to give you an opportunity to be there and love and be kind to this most vulnerable, sweet part of me, too. So, so like, now again, that's a little easier to do when both people are committed to it. Because it is a little bit of a... Um, it's a little bit of a shift sometimes for people because people are, have internalized so much their critic voice. Like they, they don't even realize themselves that they're being mean to themselves. They actually think a lot of the critical things they say to themselves are actually helpful, like which is, you know, it's crazy. 
And that's why I think it's often useful to imagine you are speaking to a child the way you're talking to yourself when you are hurting. Right? That would be my little, imagine you're a little child that's hurting and how could you be a loving, really amazing friend to that part inside. I hope to God you'd be empathic and compassionate and actually tender and you would actually let them have their feelings and hug them and hold them and care for them and not criticize them. And if that critic voice tries to show up, you tell them nicely, hey, come here. I understand you're trying to help right now, but why don't you go for a hike? Costa Rica is beautiful. There's lovely woods out there in an ocean. Why don't you go for a swim and leave the vulnerable part of me alone? I love that. And I think that is really something you can use with really everybody is just treating them kindly with respect. And as if they were a little kid, you never want to talk to somebody hurtfully on purpose. But if you always have that in the back of your mind, I think that's something that can be really powerful uh, in the way that you treat people. Absolutely. Right. That's like, I always say there's no angry people in the world, right? There Mm -hmm. aren't right? There, there are only people that play angry people on TV when they're hurting inside, right? The, the, the worst behaviors you could ever see in other people are only born out of the fact that they're hurting inside. So there's always a vulnerable, hurt person inside of everyone. And, and so come here, this isn't about being nice to other people. You will suffer less. You know, if that message resonates with you and you then try to actually incorporate that in everything you do in the world, let's just look at this from a selfish perspective, right? You'll just suffer less because every time you see someone else's behavior and you're like, that driver was so terrible. What were they thinking? Oh, like you're just suffering. But if you can say, look, they must have like, I don't know what's going on with them, that they're cutting across traffic and like, oh, they must be having a hard day. Oof. Right. It just alleviates your suffering. So even just from a selfish perspective, right, you know, I I think it's also true. But just from a selfish perspective, you want to suffer less. Like, let's start, you know, trying to see and understand people's the worst behaviors from your perspective. They're just the outcome of the way they're hurting and feeling unmet or unloved inside themselves. Since. I've become a mother and we've become parents that has been even more, I've been even more aware to those feelings because maybe somebody's like cutting me off driving or something. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, maybe she is a screaming child in the back of her car. And I try to like put myself in that position. And it, I think it's for me, it's super helpful. It's great. And and then, of course, that's like we want to be able to do that with each other as parents. Right. Because one of the beauties about doing the work I do is and seeing couples is, you know, when people first come in to see me, they both tell me their story. And it almost inevitably, even if they don't intend to, involves them telling me the story about the way they're hurting and the way their spouse isn't doing it right. Right? And, And so there's two different stories they tell. And what I find is everybody makes sense. Like both people make sense. It's like, oh man, if I was you, I'd be hurting too. And it makes sense. I could see my spouse that way. Oh, and, and, and this is your story? Oh, so go. It makes sense you're hurting and it makes sense you're seeing your spouse that way, right? And so then if we can, and look, the reason why I think the best place to learn how to have empathy and compassion is actually within a committed long-term relationship, marriage or whatever other container your relationship is in because it's going to be the most challenging place to do it because you're going to be more hurt by your partner right as you can imagine if some stranger cuts you off on the freeway like you know like you might be annoyed for five minutes 
would your spouse cut you off in the freeway? Right? Yeah. Right. <laughs> like, you know, because it has so much bigger significance, right? Right. Um, but but basically we get to practice seeing that look, yes, it makes sense you're hurting and you would have the judgments and the reactive behavior and you know, you know, that you're having. But your spouse actually is in a equally difficult moment when you guys are disconnected too. Even if they do not display the kind of reactions and the kind of emotions that you believe are what someone that's distressed would be feeling or would be, you know, displaying in that given moment. So that's why, like, if you can, if you can learn how to have empathy in your primary relationship, it's going to be a lot easier to then, like, you know, um, disseminate that out to the entire the entire world, you know, your extended family, your community, you know, et cetera, et cetera. This is really beautiful information that uh, I started the podcast. It was, you know, with the intent to, to really focus on parenting and in the relationship and all of this is applied to that. But I think we're going to change the title and it's not going to involve parenting because I hope everyone will listen to this because whether you're a parent or not, this is really great information and the way you're framing it to have empathy for your partner in those impossible moments. Cause that's really what we're talking about here. And that, like you're saying, like that's where as humans, like when we're connecting with one another, it's easy, easier to avoid those. Like you said, put it in the calendar, you know, how can we avoid these possible moments? Even if we're not consciously doing it, avoiding those hard conversations, not doing the work, but that's kind of like surface level living. And if you want to really experience life fully, it's not all, it's not easy. It's really, really hard. It feels impossible, like you're saying, but you've given Sarah and I and hopefully our listeners some tools to get through those impossible moments and deal with them, address them. Before we wrap up, is there anything you want to leave with us and our listeners uh, in relation to this? Yeah. Yeah. So here, the last thing and it's, you know, I would just say is just a reminder. It's, you know, Sarah, to go back to what you said, like, you know, you're saying like, it's really hard to get to a place of empathy. And as I was saying, it's worse than hard. It's temporarily impossible. And then at best, it's hard. Um, but if both people are committed to trying to make this shift, from only seeing the way I'm hurting or the way my partner's not there, our spouse is not there for me, to actually seeing all four of those. Oh, we're both hurting. There's two of them. And we're both reacting in a protest to the way we're not feeling met. So, of course, we're actually both hurting. But before we can get there, that magical place where we have empathy, it almost always starts with a fail to get there. So one of the things I always try to help people, like, don't expect to be able to just, let's say you listen to this podcast, like, over and over again, you're like, I am implementing this. And the two of you were like, we are doing this, right? We only get to practice everything that I just spoke about after we just had a terrible moment together. And this is really important. Like, again, remember, like, <laughs> you're not going to have a life sans impossible moments. Impossible moments are part of the process. What the best case scenario is those impossible moments will be shorter than they are now. 
And in during that period of time, you'll do less damage. And on the back end of those impossible moments, you'll actually be there for each other and, and, and attend to each other's wounds and end up feeling more connected to each other. But don't expect you're going to have um, zero impossible moments. So give each other a little bit of grace, which is my daughter's name, by the way. Oh, that's a beautiful name. Uh, so that is the last thing I would say. So what you're saying is that our listeners need to bookmark this episode after every impossible moment and listen to it. (laughs) Well, yeah, yeah, exactly. We want to calm your, we're not going to neocortex our way out of what is primarily a limbic system problem. So that thing I was saying, and I hope it doesn't sound creepy where I'm just trying to like stroke (laughs) your arm going, Hey, come here. What you think is happening is not what's happening. It's okay. You're not right now with a crocodile that's unavailable or attacking you. You're actually sitting in the room with someone that loves you and they're just scared too. Everybody calm down. It's going to be okay. Right? That is the key transition we got to make first and not actually just try and fix the issue. Anyway, I know I'll, I'll stop talking, but that, that would be my last two cents. Well, wonderful. Well, thank you so much for all this information. This has been a... Uh, very eye-opening uh, podcast for Chase and I. So we're really excited to implement a lot of uh, the tools that you've given us in this episode. So uh, let's wrap up by having you tell our listeners where they can find uh, more information on you and then we'll say goodbye. Well, like if you don't mind, I just say one last thing. I, I just want to say to both of you, I, I just so appreciate your question, right? Because it's just very clear to me that you are in it, right? And you're not scared to be vulnerable and honest. Like, even just with the way you ask the questions and the kind of questions you ask, like I can hear the vulnerability in both your voices. And I just I just want to like really, really appreciate you guys as a couple and, and as errands. And, you know, this is the only time we really talk, but I can just hear how you know, earnest and just authentic you are and how much you're, you're really working on this together. So just really wanted to appreciate you. So thank you again for having me on. Thank you, Figs. And we say it often on the show, but we are just learning right along with our listeners. And Sarah and I have been in impossible moments and um, it in kind of feeling that way as of recently. So this information is very relevant and and useful. So we're just happy to have people like yourselves on uh, to guide us. So please, if our listeners want to find out more or contact you, where can they, uh, where can they find you online? Yeah, I would say the easiest thing is just go to empathy.com and empathy is spelled with an I on the end, not a Y on the end. So, you know, San Francisco thing, right? We have to change the spelling, you know. Um, so empathy with an eye on the end.com. And when you go to empathy.com, you will see in the main menu, there's a quiz link. And I actually, I, I like, call me crazy, but I built this um, web app for couples where you can actually answer all these. One person takes the quiz, you answer all these questions, and it tells you, you get this personalized report that tells you who you are in love and relationship from an attachment perspective. And then you can invite your spouse or partner to take the quiz. And when they take it, then, and if they take it through the invite link that you sent them, then they'll get their self-discovery report. It'll tell them who they are in love and relationship from an attachment, emotional bonding perspective. But now, most importantly, because we have both your answers, you actually get this 
auto-generated relationship system report. And that relationship system report tells you who you are together as one entity and, and it illustrates for you your impossible moments and what happens and tells you what you have to do to work on like, you know, making your relationship amazing from an emotional bonding perspective for the rest of your life. And all of that is free. I, I am not a tech person and yet I built this whole process. Um, because I'm, I'm crazy. Because I really want to try and get this wisdom in the hands of as many people as possible, not just those people that can afford to come see someone like me in a city like San Francisco. Um, you know, so, so anyway, so empathy.com, take the quiz. The whole process is free. And um, I hope it's helpful for people. Well, Sarah and I are sure to be going and taking that quiz. And Figs, again, thank Great. you so much for all this uh, amazing information today. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. Hi, guys. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. As always, all the links are in the show notes page, as well as on the podcast description. And while you're on our website, we encourage you guys to check out our 14-day Happy Couple Challenge. We send you an email for 14 days with simple, doable challenges to help strengthen and improve your relationship. And on our website, we also have a bunch of free resources for your relationship. So we encourage you to check those out. Uh, We also have our love tribe on Facebook. Uh, We encourage you guys to join the tribe and uh, be there for support for each other. If you have questions or just need some relationship advice, We are all here for each other. Um, The group has grown to almost a thousand people um, and we love it. So we hope you guys join that. You can go to Facebook, Love Tribe Fam, and you'll find us right there. And if you are interested in learning more about our flagship course, Spark My Relationship, we hope you guys check it out. We have a special offer that is only for podcast listeners. So you can go to sparkmyrelationship.com slash unlock and you can unlock that special offer and learn more as always thank you guys so much and we'll see you next week